1: Well, howdy, everyone. Here we go. Here we go. (laughs) That just caught me off guard. That surprised me. You don't usually kind of jump in on the madness of a different intro each time. I got to throw you every now and then. I was listening to you last week, you know, because I was out of town. Yes. And you are, you were like a machine with the consistency of the beginning of each segment. (laughs) I I, got to change that a little bit. Do you? I don't know. I think maybe people like the consistency. Maybe when I'm in the driver's seat, people are like, ugh. The Simpkins kid He just He just Throws me for a loop every time Yeah I don't know Our personalities definitely come out Right from the open of the show Right from the get go Right off the bat All right, so A couple places you can find us Facebook The Common Good Radio Show 1160hope.com Forward slash The Common Good You can also find the podcast Wherever you get podcasts And uh, I wanna We Okay Yesterday was a pretty heavy day Yep In terms of uh, Content and stories And I just Kind of wanted to start today with something nice. Mm. And you guys were talking about Mr. Rogers and Tom Hanks last week, right? Have you seen the pictures? I've seen or pictures. The I've watched the trailer. I cried through the trailer. He looks so much like Mr. Rogers And that. It's funny because someone else uh, I was watching the trailer with they were like, oh, he doesn't even sound like him. Oh, I'm really? Like, what are you talking about? He sounds just like him. Oh, I only saw pictures.
2: I didn't hear it. But I was like, oh, oh my goodness. You have watched the trailer? I have not.
1: Brian From
2: I, I will. All right, now that you've said this, oh, now that you my. said you cried through it, I will do it. If you're even remotely a Mr. Rogers fan, you will. Well, one thing that misband. we talked about last week is that and not that this is a little off subject. But one thing we talked about is I did not grow up watching Mr. Rogers. Ah, and it so, might not mean as much to you then. But I get. I Anyway, my wife totally grew up watching Mr. Rogers. So she'll she'll love it. Also, we'll,
1: we'll watch it. All right. So Tom Hanks, he's been married for 31 years to Rita Wilson. And uh, I just stumbled across this article and it was six rules of a happy marriage, which I don't know if this is. Like for me, it always warms my heart when I see a Hollywood couple that's been married longer than two weeks. Like there's just something like, oh, yes, it can be done. It's a it's a real, you know, unicorn situation. But uh, I I thought the list was actually really solid. I think Tom Hanks is actually weirdly a pretty wise person in general. So why don't you kick us off with number one? Because I think you might disagree with it. Yes. Don't get married before
2: you're 30. Amen. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Don't get married before you got married before 30. Hanks says he rushed his first marriage because he was young, impulsive, and worked all the time. Hanks thinks that a marriage has to be a conscious decision instead of an impulsive one. Don't get married before you're 30 years old, the actor said. It's, it's worked for him. I got married at 22, and uh, I'm sure maybe we had a couple bumps because we were younger. But I'm not sure I agree with Mr. Hanks on this one. But I do get the when you're younger, you're a little more impulsive. Maybe I, you know, neither my wife or I were like the driven type where we were working crazy hours. But if that is your type where you're trying to get into a career, Hmm. then maybe this this has some validity to it. Um, But, you know, that's his experience. He says uh, he got married before 30 and it didn't work and it was a lot better after 30. Well, and I
1: did wait till after 30 and it actually worked out pretty wonderfully for me. Now, I can understand, though, like the other side of that is when you're in your 30s. You're pretty well established in a lot of your habits and rhythms where when you get married at 19, you're sort of like forming them together. There is
2: certainly some ease that I imagine you have probably experienced getting married younger. So I I have I honestly if you think of becoming learning to be an adult being like after you graduate college. Right. Yeah. I don't have any uh concept of that outside of being engaged and then married and so that does have its benefits because carrie and i kind of figured out how to be adults together yeah but there's also some pain in trying to figure out how to be adults you can see it
1: from both totally all right i want to know your thoughts on this one number two always meet your partner halfway hanks was catholic and wilson was greek orthodox Mm. as hank knew how significant religion was to his wife he converted to her faith he said i sacrificed something for my wife rita has greek roots and they have the Orthodox faith. And I was Catholic. So before getting married, I converted my faith out of deep
2: respect to her family. Wow. I did not think he was going to go that direction. When really? I read always meet your partner halfway, I thought it was like, like a always compromise. Fan. Right. right. Uh, you know, when you fight, you got to meet in the middle, these kinds of things. But man, he converted. I don't know what I think about that. <laughs> like, I think you got to be careful who you date in the first place. Right. Yeah, like, that's um, true. I'm not saying that his faith isn't important to him, but I know for me, uh, if I had met a girl and, been, and she was like, oh, but by the way, I'm an atheist and I need you to be an atheist. Well, that probably would have been a deal breaker. I'm not going to meet you. Have I that Wheaton studying to be a pastor? That probably is <laughs> uh, it's not uh, super likely. <laughs> but I do not. Not the Wheaton I knew. But uh, I do think that always meet your partner halfway or, or make that a general rule of thumb uh, is is good practice. Um, a lot of times. When you're, when you're near the husband and wife who just are always going to dig in and always have to win and always have to be right, that's a tough way to be married. Yeah, no kidding. All right, number three should be a no-brainer. Unfortunately, it isn't always.
1: Uh, support each other. The pair has been through a lot, but they have always supported one another. In 1994, when Hanks got his first Oscar for his performance in Philadelphia and he was on stage, he thanked his wife, saying, I am here only because the woman uh, I live my life with shows me what love is every day. Wilson was diagnosed, actually, with breast cancer in 2015. Wilson explained that she was scared of how he'd react and how this news would influence their relationship. However, she uh, shouldn't have worried as Hank surrounded his wife with support and care, and they only have become even closer. Obviously, this one should seem like low-hanging fruit,
2: but it isn't always the case, right? It's such a huge one, though. Like, you've got to be the advocate for your spouse. That's a good word. You've got to be the one... I think advocate, cheerleader, all of these things you do, your arguing behind closed doors, right? You like you, you've got each other's back. And, and I would say, you know, I'm going on 20 years of marriage. Right. And you, you, I will always support my wife, but you got to work at stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Right. And so um you can get lazy at stuff like this. And so I think it's a great thing he says here, be the biggest cheerleader, the biggest advocate supporter of each other. Yeah. Why don't you take us to number four then do little nice things for your partner. Hanks and Wilson travel a lot. They've been to almost every place in the world. Additionally, Wilson travels with Hanks to other cities when he needs to work on movies. After years of marriage, they still try to do small, nice things for each other. And so it's this concept that not everything's big. You know, it's the little nice things you do throughout the day. That can really build love and build and build that sense of uh, support. So,
1: yeah, and I'm not great at this one. I actually really love like to organize and plan like big, grandiose yeah. events and dates and special parties, and uh, I can sometimes really struggle to like. Get up off the couch and mm. do the dishes. I was pretty good at notes for a while, and I would always try to sneak a pun in there, which <laughs> that may that may undo the niceness <laughs> of the note by
2: you know that's awesome. forcing someone to encounter a pun. That's maybe not... Uh... After how many years you've been married, you just had an anniversary? Yeah, three years, yeah. Does your wife like, like the puns in general, <laughs> or has she grown tired <laughs> she of your puns? She likes
1: me, and she knows that I like puns, so I think she <laughs> deals with it. She likes some of them. Uh, number five, love your partner for what they are. Hanks and Wilson value the things that they have lived through together, they only make their love stronger. The American actor often expresses how much he values his wife as saying, uh, this woman loved me when mm. I was thin and loved me when I was fat. She loved me bald and loved me with hair. This woman loves me. I know that. This is why I am a lucky man. I think. Mm. I think that actually is just good counsel for anybody. So often we like you know, date or sometimes even marry in order to change a person. Yeah. And that's, I just think a really unhealthy way to yeah, do it. If you're
2: trying to change your spouse, that's, that's bad. All right, take us on with number six. The most significant thing is to find the right person. Journalists often try to discover the secret of Hanks's long and strong marriage. He just laughs and say, my secret to a happy marriage is just being married to the right woman. I got lucky with the wonderful Rita Wilson. I'm the luckiest man alive. Thoughts about the most significant thing is to find the right person.
1: Yeah, see, I don't even know that there is. I, I think what I'll often counsel young people to say is, hey, rather than focusing on finding the one, work on becoming the one. Mm, you know, I think I think it's way less about this needle in a haystack pursuit. And sometimes people, you know, are a, are a good fit or not. Um, but I, I don't I don't know that. I buy the myth to be honest of like the quote right
2: person I but agree. maybe
1: maybe oh you do agree I do agree why
2: why is that because I think you learn that's kind of like the Disney happily ever after deal yeah and then when you start having when marriage becomes hard you're like oh maybe I didn't find the right person see so maybe that's my out right. and marriage is two imperfect people coming together that's not going to form perfection <laughs> yeah. yeah a lot of joy a lot of happiness but but it's going to be there's there's hard times in marriage
1: and I think the hard times are what actually help the roots go deeper agreed to be honest and that's that's the kind of stuff I think we we can look back at it and say, "Hey, I wouldn't wish that on anybody." But that actually made us what we are yep. today. All right, well, coming up next, do you want to feel happier today? Try talking to a total stranger. We're mm. going to unpack this article out of NPR. Coming up next on the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome to Smooth Conversations, <laughs> with Brian and Ian. So sit back, relax. Enjoy the smooth tones (laughs) two passers who aren't sure what they're doing. Oh, that was that That voice you just did there was, oh, that's scary. Your laughter over the voice actually is uh, a
2: real winning combination. You and I have done this enough that that you don't normally surprise me with things, but that voice surprised me. Oh, look at us, still keeping the romance fresh. (laughs) Still doing things to surprise you. Tom Hanks is number seven.
1: (laughs) Brian and Ian would like to add to that list. All right, so uh, all jokes aside. No, not all jokes. Nope. Some jokes aside. Uh, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. And uh, I thought that this article was actually really intriguing, and I've I've touched on the idea uh, a couple of times since we started in January, but the headline is, Want to feel happier today? Try talking to a stranger. So let me let me just sort of... Uh, intro the article and then i'm going to get some of your feedback Uh, it said the mood boost of talking to strangers may seem fleeting but the research on well-being scientists say suggests that a happy life is made up of high frequency of positive events even small positive experiences chatting with a stranger in an elevator can make a difference so it starts with this sort of uh, hypothetical scenario the doors open wide you enter and they close behind you as the elevator begins its ascent, you realize it's just you and one other person taking this ride. The silence soon grows uncomfortable. Pop quiz. What's your go-to move? A, stare at your shoes. Mm. B, pull out your cell phone. C, make brief eye contact. Or D, initiate chit-chat. If, you, if your answer was B... You're like far too many of us, eyes glued to our phones, attention focused on the digital world. Many of us tend to do just about anything to avoid conversations or even eye contact with strangers. And smartphones make it easier than ever to do that. But a recent study found that phones can keep us from even exchanging brief smiles with people we meet in public places. But a body of research has shown that we might just be shortchanging our own happiness Mm. by ignoring opportunities to connect with the people around us. So pop quiz:
2: What do you typically do in that kind of situation? B uh, B. I will look at my cell phone. Yes, <laughs> and uh, yeah, especially if it's me and a stranger in an elevator. Uh, I'm not opposed to chit chat, so I'm not I'm not one of these people who like oh my gosh, just anything right. I can possibly do not to right. chit chat. I tend to not be one who initiates it very much. Okay, uh, having ridden in an elevator with you and random strangers, I know <laughs> that you will answer differently to this quiz. Um, but not always, by the way. Yeah. Oh, sure. Sure. But you don't, anyway, I won't put words in your mouth. I doubt you do the cell phone or stuff for avoidance. You just literally might be doing something or reading something, but maybe worse. It's just out of like mindless habit. Right. Me. Right. But, um, I do, you know, I'll, I am the guy, like if you're at a baseball game, I'll get talking to the person next to me or this kind of stuff. So I'm not, I'm not anti chit chat, but that quiz I'm, I'm probably going to be. So I think it's actually interesting because.
1: Well, it actually reminds me, too. So two weeks ago, we had this interview with Jamie Dorkowski of To Write Love on Her Arms. And he was actually sharing a story about somebody uh, that he knew whose, whose brother had committed suicide by jumping off of this bridge. Wow! And she had sort of wondered. She was reflecting on that, saying, and I wonder if as he was walking to that bridge, if just one stranger had smiled at him, would that have made a, made a difference? And again, that's, you know completely hypothetical yeah. but the the power though of even these brief interactions so it turns out there's actually scholarly research um regarding the impact that these like small seemingly insignificant interactions can have both on our brain health and our well-being and i like i find that uh really really fascinating and i'd be curious to know some of your thoughts on this article because as someone like you said like oh, i'm not opposed to it but i'm not i'm, I'm certainly not going to like seek it out Um, Does this article change your
2: mind about anything at all? I think a little bit. And so I love this line here. The quote, it says, it takes very little to acknowledge somebody's existence. And uh, yeah, I, I do. I think a lot of times I probably over. Um. I go too far in thinking like other people don't want to chit chat, right? Like I'm not opposed to it, but I, you know, let's just, some people have legitimate anxiety. Let's just stand here in this elevator. Right. And uh, I know if my wife were listening right now, she is the last one to want to initiate this kind of thing. Like this kind of thing does cause her Hmm. just, uh, it's just, it's just not her personality. And, uh, but this is interesting that they're, they're showing research there here that says, as we have little interactions with people and aren't just isolated in our little cocoons, that as we're talking with each other, that it actually makes us kind of happy. Like there's the interaction, the change of pace, the being noticed. Uh, I think that's interesting because I wouldn't have linked those two. I would have said, you know what, it's it's nice to acknowledge people. It's nice to have conversations with people. Uh, the most person that I know that's going to be happy about this dad is my father-in-law, who no <laughs> one's ever been a stranger to my father-in-law. So uh, maybe that's why he's happy. Well, and I think it's interesting because the the article is actually –
1: like really self-aware because it isn't just like you were saying that we're too distracted by our phones sometimes it's like this deep disbelief that anyone will actually enjoy talking to me yep. it's a doubt that i'm you know a good conversationalist or that i have anything to say uh this one line says no one likes feeling invisible when someone walks past the germans even have a term for it we Luft to which nice. means to be looked at as though air which i, I just think is such a like hauntingly beautiful, but sad thing that we even, yeah that they would have a phrase for it. And uh, so it says Kipling Williams, a Purdue university psychologist studied how people felt when a young woman walked by them and either made eye contact, uh, made eye contact while smiling or completely ignored them. And even brief eye contact increased people's sense of inclusion and belonging. Just that brief acknowledgement, that brief glance with or without a smile made them at least temporarily feel more socially connected. Williams said, and it works both ways. those, that had been looked through uh, felt even more disconnected uh, hmm. than the control group. So how can uh, we dodge the risks of loneliness and stop shortchanging our own happiness? It might be easier than you think. It takes very little, like you said, to acknowledge somebody's existence. And I, I, I I'm going to be challenged by that. Today. I will be too. I'll be thinking about this. Like how do you how do we help elevate though? It's not just striking up conversation it's not what do we call it small talk or and mm-hmm. chat. i think even the phrases that we use to describe this type of conversation sort of denigrates its value how do we actually like i love that idea of acknowledging someone's existence yeah. that
2: feels so much more elevated doesn't it to yep. speak of it like that it really does and he they say here just start with folks like the cashier in the grocery store or the barista at your local coffee shop You've got to interact with them anyway. So you might as well make an effort to turn it into a friendly exchange. And right. you might be thinking, well, what what does that ever do? And it, they're saying here that just the interactions help bolster both sides, happiness and being acknowledged in this net. But also, you know, you and I talk about the word community a lot. Uh, it's in the name of both of our churches. And one thing right. I often say that our church is deep community begins with shallow community. Right. Like, uh, you know, no, I don't want to be one of those people who would like I've never met you and be like, hey, tell me all oh, well, about your darkest struggles. But like. That might grow. A relationship might yeah, grow over right. time, and you look back like, "Oh, it's just because we talked in an elevator or at the grocery store that's or right. whatever." That's right. Uh, and that's not going to happen as we just stare at our phones all day, not making eye contact with people, and just kind of going, you know, a million miles a minute. Yeah, it says the mood
1: boost of talking to strangers may seem fleeting, but the research on well-being, Epley says, suggests that a happy life is made up of uh, a high frequency of positive uh, positive events, and even small positive experiences make. A difference. Happiness Mm. seems a little bit like a leaky tire on a car. We just sort of have to keep pumping it up a bit to maintain it. Mm. And that idea of like, yes, we'll obviously have birthday parties and anniversary vacations and these big events, but these small, tiny, seemingly insignificant interactions are also just as crucial. And maybe the challenge, even as we wrap this segment up is next time you're standing in line at Starbucks or next time you're in an elevator, what if you just left your phone in your pocket, left it in your purse Made eye contact and even just said, Good morning. Mm. You don't have to ask some deep existential theological question, but just simply, Good morning. How are you? How is your weekend? Apparently, like, isn't it makes a difference? Right. It makes an absolute difference in our lives. And I, to be honest, I'm really challenged by this to acknowledge people's existence each and every day in whatever way that we can. Yep. Well, coming up next, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo tops Instagram sports rich list scoring, get this, almost $1 million. Per Instagram post This is a story I cannot even believe Is real life But we're going to Tackle it anyway That's coming up next On The Common Good On AM 1160 Hope for your life Always startles me. Is, yes. that, is, is it just me? I always feel like I'm looking at you like, oh, oh, oh we're back with we're vengeance. Instead right. of oh, like the slow jazz ones where we yeah, just...
2: Yeah, right. We're just going to slowly get back into the segment. This the, one is... the
1: disparity between the different rejoin music we have, I imagine, has got to be really upsetting to our listeners. It really <laughs> does. Like I cranked the volume up on the knob because I thought it was going to be, you know, smooth jazz with Ian and Brian. And then we got whatever that was. <laughs> you would drive
2: it off the road. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't want to laugh about that. Don't Woo. drive. Don't drive off the road. Anyway, welcome back to the Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show or eleven sixty hopecom dot com forward slash the Common Good. And um, so this is the thing about the show. Sometimes we take a deep dive into really complex issues. Sometimes we take a, a deep dive into really. Like emotional ones. I don't know what category to put this one into. Right. Uh, I just kind of want to rant about it a little bit. <laughs> I like so, ranting, Ian. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's safe. I don't know if that's a good idea for us or for anybody else. But um, it's from CNBC. Cristiano Ronaldo tops Instagram sports rich list, scoring almost one million dollars per post.
2: What do you think of this wild story? So a couple of things to about. If you don't know Cristiano Cristiano Ronaldo is, he's one of, if not the most famous soccer player worldwide. Uh, And it says that he received $975,000 per post to endorse products from companies on the social media platform on Instagram. And not only does it come out on top of the soccer rivals, but it's also uh, a bit ahead of uh, big names of American sports. The highest American sport athlete uh, is LeBron James uh, who gets $272,000 uh, $272,000 per product indoors post. But here's one of the things that just amazed me in this. Cristiano Ronaldo's Instagram um, has, he is followed by 177 million people. That's a bonkers number. I mean, that is crazy. Think about that. If you're Cristiano Ronaldo and you're holding your phone and you're going, should I post this picture of, <laughs> you know, yeah. what I'm doing tonight, what I'm eating? You're going, it's going to be seen by 177 million people and shared in this. They're not all going to see it, but, but who's going to share it? And like, it's just a crazy number. It's just unbelievable. Uh, And so. I'm, gonna, I'm going to I'm going to show my old man naivety, naivety, naivete. You got to say it with a little French. I'm going to show my old man naivete here. <laughs> and that is it. Was that French? I don't think that was even French. Here it, it is. is. Twirling his mustache while uh, he says it. I didn't even know this was a thing. Oh, really? These guys get paid a crazy amount of money. Yeah. And you and I were talking off air because I was like, is it literally every post where he's like, no. hey, playing soccer or what? And you said it's like it has to do with hashtags or product placement. Right. So it's basically doing an Instagram commercial. You're, yes, you're, exactly. You're advertising on Cristiano Ronaldo, which uh, his Instagram page, which is one hundred seventy seven million followers. Right. But man, nine hundred and seventy five thousand dollars per Instagram post is uh, it's. Sometimes money is just for a certain level of people is just <laughs> is just silly. Yeah. <laughs> and this is one that I just can't get my mind out right of. Ronaldo's like, you know what? I, I I feel like I need a little bit of money today. Let me uh, hashtag this. I don't think it's that casual. I don't I don't think it's on a whim. But I it think sounds it's... like he could call somebody up and be like, hey, you oh, need product placement. And <laughs> I'm sure he could. I'm sure crazy. He could. So anyway, rant away. But I'm saying I just didn't even know. If you had asked me, yeah, Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, places a product, whatever, and you said, How much money do you think he gets paid for that? Like to me, like a hundred grand would have been that would crazy. have been your guess, really. That would have been that would have been like that would have been the top of your list. Probably. And I probably wow. would have only guessed that because, you know, when they ask the question, it's going to be too high. It's going to be right. high. Right, right. Yeah. But in your head, you're like, there's no way it's 100 grand. I'm like, oh, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. 100 grand. And then to see that, uh, it's that's amazing. So I, I don't know if you've seen any
1: of the uh, Fire Festival documentaries. There's one on Mm-mm. Netflix and one on Hulu. And if you're not familiar, mm, I don't know that I can formally recommend it on this show. But it is a really fascinating case study of this failed festival and all the uh dark inner workings that got them there but the the origins of this festival though is that this guy was just a, a master at building digital influence and so they shot this uh promo video and they had all these supermodels and what they called digital influencers yep and so the the genesis of the whole movement was asking these influencers to change their profile picture just to a plain orange square mm. with the hashtag. And that's part of what caused it to absolutely blow up. And I, the reason I, I mean, obviously the story's insane, almost oh. a million dollars per post is I just can't even wrap my little brain around that. But it also makes me wonder, like, what does that say about the future of advertising, the yeah. future of how products are placed in front of our own eyes where you know historically 30 40 years ago someone paid for some ad time on a network right and we would you know i'm sure we've talked about this before like how much it costs to have a 30 second spot right. in the super bowl that's right. a, it's a ton of money that's a that's almost becoming if not already an antiquated way to think about yes. product placement and how do we get our product in front of people and i'm curious i didn't really plan on asking you this but i'm curious if if that is some of how the tide is shifting If stories like this are actually not all that uncommon, even though it's kind of blowing our minds, is there anything that the church could Uh, or should learn from with regards to antiquated models versus here's how here's how to engage a new audience, a new Mm. generation? Like, are there things that as a pastor and you planted Four Corners, so I imagine you're thinking about different ways at various times, like, how how do we? Christmas is coming up Easter or, right, right, right. or
2: whatever it is. Like, does this change at all for you? The way that you think about those strategies? It, that's a fascinating question. Cause I feel like, cause when I read this story and it, it's crazy that he makes $975,000, here's the thing. Uh, the advertisers aren't do, doing that as a gift to Cristiano Ronaldo. It's worth their money. Yeah. And so, you know, they've done the research. They know that it's worth their money. And so, uh, man, I know we started our church almost 10 years ago. If I started it today, I probably would launch it in a very different way. Like like what? I think it would be, a, I think the promo I'm using, I'm using air quotes, <laughs> but good on the radio. Uh, the promo I think would be a lot more online driven, <laughs> a lot more, hey, you individual who's helping us start the church, you organically, or I guess it wouldn't be organically, but use your personal stuff. We were a lot more, you know, in the, even 10 years ago, it's like, all right, we're going to send out a mail and we're right. going to. Start a blot, which didn't really work, but we're gonna, you know, Facebook. I, we didn't have a good handle on Facebook 10 years ago. I don't know that anybody did. And so it wasn't the way my guess is, even with a church now. And I don't know what that looks like, um, for, for established churches right now. Um, but I do think it's one of the things that, that painting with a broad brush, bigger churches like your own, uh, tend to do better. They tend to, um, Uh, For better, for worse, depending on the person who's talking, uh, are more at the at the front end of the of of the wave of culture. And so uh, I do think there's ways to to leverage, uh, you know, as opposed to the church shaking its fist all the time, being like, that's not how we do things. Right. So we don't want to we don't want to change the message. But I think it's worth thinking about how we um get the message out there can be uh we we need to think about how that's best done in our culture yeah i think
1: that's one of the things too that's going to continue
2: to be a little polarizing because we've done
1: other stories where people have made claims that now the future of the church is purely digital and you and i both like i don't "Mm, know calm down pump pump the brakes so like how do we lean into utilizing and leveraging without actually being sucked into and absorbed by uh when it comes to Mostly our digital presence. Yeah. Um, but I think, like, we just had a baptism at the L Box last weekend of a woman who first encountered us via the Facebook live stream. That's cool. And then, like, joined the digital group and then attended for the first time. And we got the baptized. Wow. Like, it was. I mean, that's a success. That's right, a huge exactly. story. And I, you know, and obviously for <laughs> for every one of those stories, I imagine there's all sorts of other things we need to learn. To, but I, I, I don't know. I think there's a lot to be said about, uh, again, <laughs> not a million dollars per post. That's still bonkers yep. to me. But. Thinking through, okay, this thing is going to continue to ebb and flow. How can the church? The internet's not going anywhere. Right, exactly. (laughs) But like you said, even with Facebook, though, Facebook is already becoming passe. And and you were saying off air, too, that a lot of the reason Facebook is even really still viable is because they bought Instagram in the first place. So as crazy as that seemed to me when they did, I'm like, oh, that makes total sense now. I don't know that the church has always been great at like being ahead of the curve there. And maybe part of the ways that we do
2: that is we actually go back to things that are very ancient. Maybe that's the way that we do it. I like that too. And just as we, just real fast, also remember this post should remind you, this article should remind you, uh, a lot of social media is to sell stuff to you. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Right. No kidding. uh, Sometimes we lose sight of that as
1: well. Yeah, that's true. Well, you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. What does this music make you think of? I feel like you got a different groove to you when this song plays. Like you pull like, out the top hat and the monocle and you're spinning a cane or something.
2: Like, yeah, this feels a little... Uh, this feels a little, I, I didn't grow up in the disco era, but I, I pictured disco being a little bit like this.
1: Oh, so like roller skates. Yeah. So people wearing yeah. It, glow bracelets, is that a thing? <laughs>
2: Anyway, if it wasn't,
1: it should have been. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> totally. Agree. Now they sell them at the dollar store. Uh, so I found this article at psychologytoday.com and uh, it's just called parenting one on one. Love is in the details. And just, just as a quick aside, I posted this yesterday. One of my favorite things about coming home is uh, the moment that I walk through the door, my little boy, my eldest Owen mm-hmm. stops whatever he's doing. And he walks right to me, grabs my hand and walks me right back to the front door to go for our evening walk. And, I mean, it's no just and he's like barely walking. So it's like, he's yeah. so tiny and so cute, but he's also very particular. Yeah. about Where we go. And usually has a, like a routine. Well, yesterday he wanted to go like a different direction. And I was like, right, I'll, I'll roll with this. I got nothing but time. So I'm kind of letting him lead. Yeah. And he's like, you know, he's pointing out the different things that he sees. And he's, he's just learned the word birds, which he says like, <laughs> but it's just, <laughs> I, it cracks me up. And what he wanted to do was, Sit on my lap at the busiest intersection in town and wave by at all the cars. No way. So, for like 45 minutes, he just sat on my lap and, like, just this. I mean, it was 59. It was just this really busy. And, the, and so I'm like, oh, and he's just
2: like, bye, bye.
1: No <laughs> Just way. wouldn't stop. And the whole time, I'm like, oh, man, this is this is the good stuff. I I enjoyed that so That's much. That's awesome. It was such a random,
2: sweet little. People, moment. Are like, people are calling your church being like, is he in, right? Is he homeless? Is he, he's on the side he, of 59. He's panhandling, right? Yeah. <laughs> are they okay? Those are the fun times, though, man. Oh, you I loved back. it, man. We used to have, when my oldest was really little at that like that same age, we would walk. We lived in Wheaton at the time, and we'd go for a walk, and our neighbor had a, uh, had a random statue of, like, a boy and a girl angel, hmm. and she called them boy and girl. And every time we went on a walk, we had to stop and, like, Basically, acknowledge boy and girl. <laughs> and yeah, right, the, right. We pic- we took a picture. Yes, so like, of course. So so even today, I'll bring it up, and Madeline, our oldest, will like every now and then be like, "Oh yeah, boy and girl," like that <laughs> statue. And it's the most <laughs> random statue sitting in their oh, yard. I love it.
1: Well, we even while we were walking, we could just talk about this the whole time. My uh, so we're walking, and he oh, doesn't have a lot of words yet, but these uh, these two probably middle schoolers rode by. One was on a scooter. One was on a bike. And so he's saying hello and bye to yeah. every car, and they're of course not, you know, saying anything back. So he says it to these two kids that are in the street, and they responded. And he turned back to me, and was like, oh! <laughs> like, like he had just met a celebrity for the first. It was so cute. They like he could, to me. He couldn't I, honestly. The joy in his face was like, oh, it worked. It That's finally really worked. That's really funny. All right, so I'm gonna I'm just read some of the beginning of this uh, article. Yep. And then, you know, because you're a little further along the way in this uh, parenting world and some of us listening, maybe aren't parents at all or want to be or aren't parents yet. Or either way, I think this I just think there's a lot of wisdom in this. So it says um, Pam was crying tears of happiness and relief, but also sadness. The man she'd been dating for six months had asked, how do you feel about what's happening in the news? Given what happened to you in middle school, her boyfriend had remembered a small detail about her, something she had mentioned in the first week of their relationship, unprompted. He had looked through the lens of Pam's experience, which he had remembered after just one casual telling. She had shared her experience with him and he had carried it with him. The story that presents in all sorts of shapes and colors, but holds at the center of the same theme. It's a story ultimately about listening again and again. Clients tell me about a parent who was unable to remember the details of Mm -hmm. their life, whether it was not remembering the names of their friends, if they preferred their sandwich bread, toasted or plain (laughs) or who their most hated teacher of the moment was. The experience was the same loneliness, frustration and suffering as children. When those who are supposed to love us are unable to hold the details of our life, the small pieces that put together the puzzle that is us, the result is profoundly impactful and long lasting. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of, even you talking about that story of remembering this boy girl thing with your, with your daughter, she maybe doesn't even have the language necessarily to articulate it. But what this article kind of goes on to explain is that you remembering those details, actually has a tremendous impact on the bond that you and your children have. And I
2: think, I just think that's really interesting. It is. And we're hearing you describe the story of going for a walk with your kid and doing that. Like I miss the, like those kind of really simple, innocent days. Like it's not simple in the fact that you're not sleeping and you're having to do all this stuff, but but simple in the fact, like you don't have all these different things pulling at your kids. Right. It was literally him just walking me where he wanted to go. Yeah. (laughs) And, and so the, the struggle becomes as your kids get older, like, remembering uh, to be in their daily lives. Like everything's not about preparing for school and preparing for this and preparing for the next thing and running to the next thing, uh, but acknowledging uh, and knowing them. And I actually think as they get older, they want to be known more by their parents, even right. though they might not show that uh, they, they, it's been fascinating to watch my kids get older and i'm more convinced now that when they're older they long for a deeper relationship with you than even when they're younger even though when they're younger they need you more and you're like okay right right um and so one of the ways this article says to do this not not one of the ways they're saying maybe the most important thing is to know the details of their life and to remember them and to care about them so my wife and i we uh, we try at dinner when we're all together, like, tell us about your day. Hmm. Uh, my daughter last night, she was stressed about something and I just sat next to her and I'm like, Hey, what's going on? Like, tell me what what was good about your day. And like, there was this connection that your kids want to connect with you. yeah. Uh, and a lot of times it's over the small details. I think this article has a lot of, uh, a lot of good stuff to say. Well, and there's some really good
1: insight too, from this writer's perspective that oftentimes it's, it's common for children to take the blame for a parent who doesn't listen Mm. kind of assuming either. Well, I guess I'm just not that interesting or I must not be worth knowing the details about or remembering, you know, and he talks about a number of clients who are like, Oh yeah, my dad just never remembered my best friend's name or Mm -hmm. never remembered, you know, my favorite color or favorite artist. And so he says, all that said, I offer parents the following advice. Listen to the details of your children's lives and don't just listen, remember them, whether you're Mm. interested or not. Furthermore, Ask about those details like you were just saying. Show them that you know them. Parenting is a boots on the ground endeavor. It's not that hard to mm. do really. And yet it's one of the most powerful and generous things we can do for our children. And she goes on. As a parent, I know how overwhelming it is these days to raise kids. Just the number of tasks we have to perform for our kids is staggering without the rest of the caretaking. I also know that our children's friends' names change weekly as do the details. <laughs> I also know what it's like to work a full day and come home in the evening, cook dinner, and try to pay attention to the stories that the kids tell. But as parents, our goal is not perfection. We're works in Progress never completed. We're going to mess up. Confuse last week's frenemy with today's BFF. The point is that we try hard to show up, to be present, to listen well, and to remember what we hear. And I don't. I know that's not all that profound. I just, I that to me was really convicting. Even just thinking about the stage that my kids are at yeah, and yeah. knowing how hard this will be, in even probably just a couple of years for me, yeah. and wanting to like build in place now better rhythms. Like I found myself even if I could just share this. My boy doesn't... He's got f- six words in his vocabulary. <laughs> and the whole walk, I just I just pretended to have a conversation with it's him. That's so fun. And I just asked him questions about his day. And I was like, I want to be doing this yep. two, three, five, ten years from yeah. now. Like, when dad gets home and we, we go
2: for a walk and we talk about our day. And I think hopefully little things like that actually help kind of yeah. set us up for success. And it's funny how our minds go because... Y- what you're doing now, like my, I was about to say to you, you're going to be a good dad. I was like, no, wait, actually, you are a good dad. Ah, like, <laughs> you had a long day, tired. You go home, I'm like, all right, let's go for a walk, man, and, ride yeah. and wave a cars. like that's yeah. <laughs> That's kind of what this article is about. Let me read the last paragraph. It's yeah, pretty please do. powerful. If a child feels we're present and experiences us as interested in and paying attention to their life, then even when we make mistakes, miss and forget things, it's more likely the child will feel known and grow up to be an adult who feels sufficiently seen and heard and thus not have to keep searching for it for a lifetime. It's powerful. You're just building in in the day-to-day details of who your kid will be. That's really good, man. Be present. Remember even the
1: small stuff because in the end, it's the small stuff that matters. Mm -hmm. You've been listening to The Common Good right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for
0: a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes... Our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. 1160hope.com or wherever it is you get podcasts. And uh, we tackled it briefly yesterday. And I mentioned uh, in that segment that I I just I didn't have my head and heart <laughs> around it yet. And I thought that I would more today. Uh, but to be honest, after El Paso and Dayton, I, I don't know. I don't know that I have any more yeah. clarity necessarily. But I knew we, we couldn't just do one segment on this. Yeah. And and again, it breaks my heart that this even is still a continued conversation that needs to Mm -hmm. happen. Like that alone breaks my heart. And what I, what I've been finding myself doing honestly is like sharing prayers. I I noticed that online. You've done that a bunch. I don't know if that's annoying or helpful, but, but for me it's in the wake of people sending me all sorts of articles and people that I respect very much on every side of a debate. Um, in the face of all kinds of data and all yep, sorts of, yep. it's really, I don't know. I, I imagine other people are probably feeling the same way, but
2: mm-hmm. I, knew, I knew we need to at least talk about it. Let me ask you a really strange question. Yeah, sure. I've actually noticed that you've been posting prayers. Yeah. Has, and social media can be such a weird place. Yes. Has it been universal thankfulness for that when people do? Or are there any people pushing at you like, oh, you're trying to do an agenda through prayer? Like I've been really genuinely in, uh, encouraged by what you've been posting. I've just it actually had that. Cynical thought about social media. Has anyone even given you a hard time about waiting in? Let's pray. Yeah, that's a good point. No, I The
1: the prayers in particular, I've tried to hell. I've tried to hold a a real balance between both reflection and action. Yep. And we talked about that a little bit yesterday. But yeah, not as much as I thought I would. Sometimes in the comments, people will like take that as an opportunity to then sort of, you know, voice their particular position, which is which is totally understandable because I, I do want to also be the the kind of person that doesn't only offer thoughts and prayers, mm-hmm. but I cannot get around the fact that prayer is this integral central part of formation that like, I think grows our heart to look more and more like God. Yep. And I think that to, to divorce ourselves from that is also a mistake. So I, and I don't know. So I'd love to, honestly, I've been reading stuff like crazy. And like I said, I, yeah, I, I feel like I'm even less qualified to talk to this. It is hard. to it does today. feel
2: like one of the things, the more that you read and one of the things we've got, we've got kind of a Facebook thing where people can give us thoughts and kind of we ask people to weigh in. Yeah. And uh, almost the more that you read, the more not confused you are, but like overwhelmed you are. Yeah, right. By like. Oh, I want to talk about guns and the huge problem we have. Oh, I just read that article. Maybe guns isn't the issue. Yes. Oh, video games, video games. That's a huge. Oh, wait. No, maybe not. Oh, systemic race. Oh, wait. Hold on. And like, you just are like, the more you read, almost, it's harder to get your minds around. And I don't think that's a cop out. I think it it talks to the complexity of the issues. It doesn't mean you don't talk about all of those things. Right. right. Uh, But we also can't forget that we got to still. It's not like, oh, grieve for twenty four hours and then move on to all the issues. It's like, yeah, no, well, that's right, all these people still died, like we still gotta remember the violent tragedy that this is, uh, and the solutions are so complex, but it doesn't mean there aren't solutions and so I'm with you, man, as I've been reading the articles, you and I even printed out three articles right now to try to quickly read and just go, maybe this will help us, and it's like, yeah, with each one, you're like, oh, that's the thing we need to no wait, no, that's the yes. thing, no wait, that's the thing, and I think that's what's so frustrating about this?
1: Well, and not even that too, because then you have this whole other peg that talks about like how, how much violence there was just in Chicago this weekend. Like, okay, why aren't we, why do we seem more outraged about this and that? I think, well, that doesn't seem helpful. That seems like, but maybe it is, maybe it's, you know, why I have to check my own heart. Okay. So why the ways that we become desensitized? And I just think um, it is, that's why I really appreciate this sort of gathering of people that we have, that it, it helps least for me better understand right and left progressive conservative like that kind mm-hmm. of stuff is at the very least helpful but and we're going to talk about it in the next segment too the, the power of our words richard Rohr has often mm-hmm. said uh, words create worlds so like the ways that we speak about people individually and people groups um does actually shift culture in fact yeah. uh, we we saw a video by a guy named uh, eddie gloud who had a, a a pretty emotional response uh, to To what everything, you know, everything Was going on in our world But kind of one of the things he was saying though He's like it's way too easy To just point a finger and blame one person He's like we're seeing this in our nation Because in a lot of ways this is us Yep. And again it's only three minutes And there's all sorts of ways you could go with it But but to to not just scapegoat One particular person But to also hold people and politicians and leaders Accountable for what they say and don't say And I read a bunch of articles about Ways that some pastors and churches are maybe skirting the issue by not being concise or articulate or clear enough about the words that they use. And, yeah, I don't know. I, we're sitting here with two microphones in our face talking about the clarity of words. And I don't think either don't of us. Necess- clear. I don't think we are. I, and I think that that is real. I think it's true to where we're actually at. But it is also for me. It shows just how deep the divide is in our country. Mm -hmm. And it seems to be widening. And there are certainly things that I read. I think, uh, yeah. All right. That, that kind of gun reform seems really obvious. And then someone makes a really compelling case. Otherwise you're like, you seem to know more about this than me. So I don't know (laughs) what to do about it. It's probably why I keep posting prayers.
2: Yeah. To me at the very least, I'm like, all right, that I know, I know to at least start there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, it does drive you back to like the things you can, can control. And that's, and that's why prayers are so important to you. Um, it is hard, man. I don't mean to go back to what I just said, but it's like there, there, there's so m- when you peel the layers of these onion, there's just so much more like you, there's just more and more and more and more. Uh, I think uh, I'll put it this way. I think what happened in Dayton and El Paso uh, should certainly cause a conversation around racism and how we are viewing each other and the rhetoric that's going on in our culture. I think it should certainly start uh, restart uh ignite a conversation about guns and why do we have so many more mass shootings than anywhere else i think there is a mental illness conversation to go on i think there is a video game conversation to go on uh i think there is all of these conversations about just the culture that we live in uh i don't think we can go away from any of them and i it is hard because i got on twitter today and the partisanship of it is already nauseating right uh President Obama, uh, former President Obama tweeted something yesterday, his statement. And all of a sudden people are like, well, you didn't do anything when you were not. And, and, and back and forth. And Donald Trump just kind of says, I'm going to Dayton and El Paso. You're not welcome there. And you're just like, oh, my gosh, this is already about politics. Can it be about the dead people? And like trying to make sure that these types of things don't happen again. I know they're going to happen again, but let's not just be OK with throwing our hands up and go, oh, well, it's going to happen again. These can't be solved. Let's make sure the people who have the power to solve some of these issues, at least, we begin calling that into question. And you and I have a radio microphone and we also have pulpits. And so the question for us becomes not despair, but how can I use where God has placed me To to at least further the conversation. And I'm not sure what that exactly looks like right now, but I do don't think we can say, well, unsolvable problem. And then the next one comes along and the next one comes along and the next one comes along. And pretty soon it happens in our backyard. And now we're like, well, now we really got to do something. Well, and I've said it before, too, that to be a follower of Jesus means
1: forfeiting the luxury of neutrality in the face of injustice. We don't get to be neutral. Uh, We can disagree. We probably will. We don't get to be neutral. And there's an article that a friend of mine shared actually from The Atlantic. And I want to read just a paragraph because um, we're quoting both Franklin Graham and Robert Jeffress. And Uh I think what they say might surprise you a little bit. It says, but this divide also has important implications for how Christians think about white supremacy and what Christians should do in the face of violence that seems to have been motivated by racist ideology. Graham and Jeffress both condemn white supremacy. Mm. White supremacy and all the rest is evil and wicked and should be condemned without hesitation, Graham told me. Jeffress added that that it's important for churches to acknowledge the mistakes they have made in the past. His congregation in Dallas, for example, was long segregated. Shootings like this offer, quote, a chance to denounce racism in every form to our people and to Christians, Jefferson said. Racism has no place in our church. If you hate people according to their skin color,
2: you're not welcome in First Baptist Church in Dallas. Wow. And that goes to the whole point of caricaturing, right? Like, Right. Uh, just because Robert Jefferson is a big uh, supporter of Donald Trump and Franklin Graham, too, we assume, well, he must think X, Y, or Z. This goes back to that article we did last week, right? Don't assume we we assume we know about the the leanings of the people on the other side. And we're pretty bad at assuming, and that it, we're right? actually really
1: wrong. That's that's always helpful to read, man. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, and I th- this won't quite necessarily continue the conversation, but Brene Brown wrote this article about how dehumanization yep. actually begins with language, and uh, I love Brene and her writing. And so, I want to talk about a little bit next about the ways that we dehumanize, and maybe a way out of doing that with our words and our rhetoric. That's what's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with um, Brian Frost. Is that, is that it what it is? is? It, it is. It is on the
2: tip of my It tongue. has been. It will continue to be. So. I don't know that I've ever asked you this before. Did you ever have a nickname? No, when I was in high school and grade school and into college, people, because I've got a short last name, right. people would just call me by my last name. And so oh, that's that's sort of a nickname. I was called from for the vast majority of my childhood into college. In fact, in college, everybody would just call me from, but the people very close to me. Right. Uh, okay. That's how you knew. So uh, my, who would be my wife. Yeah when we were really good friends before we started dating for like two years, we were in like kind of the same circle of friends. Aww. So we were really close. Like she was probably my best girlfriend before we started dating. No kidding. That's we awesome. We dated other people. Someday we'll do our dating stories, but right. Oh, we dated other people you don't with want to our wives mine. sitting oh, here. Boy, that would hey, be fun. And so, <laughs> uh, and then it, uh, things started to change and we were, it, it was becoming clear that we were moving from the friend zone to the possible dating zone here. Why? Right? Like and this how was that clear? <laughs> nope don't tell me i don't never mind I forget i forget i asked i'm so sorry some actions were taken by me then oh gosh <laughs> and so uh i mean conversations we were having yeah sure and so uh, <laughs> uh, oh boy i'm glad my wife doesn't listen to the show I was gonna say, i'm gonna send her this <laughs> segment so, specifically <laughs> uh but there came a point when i said to her i said um Hey, if we're going to date, you need to know this. I I can literally remember having this conversation with her. I said to her, those people closest to me call me Brian. And it was kind of an unspoken, like, and I would like that to be you. And so really start. And from that day on, she stopped calling me from like everybody else in college did. No kidding. Started calling me Brian and we were free to date and get married. Okay. This actually ties into what I want to talk about. And like the words that we use for people and
1: about people before I do that, though, I just have to tell you. I've had some pretty terrible nicknames. (laughs) I want to hear them. I had a friend in high school. uh, So my last name is Simpkins. And she insisted. So I was homeschooled, but I went to the high school for like one or two classes, stuff I couldn't do at home. And she would always yell from across the school, Pimpkins! Oh. <laughs> and I was like, I don't think you know what that means. I don't. Please and no one knows me, because I'm the weird homeschool kid. So <laughs> I
2: was like, like what who? up, Pimpkins? Who's the new guy? Oh, boy.
1: <laughs> but I had like students when I was youth pastor used to call me SimCard or Simulation. Uh, and they were okay. so good at coming up with these weird... That's funny. Crazy out of... When I played soccer, my nickname was Spaz for... Probably obvious reasons,
2: it's but it's so funny because all of my nicknames were around my name. It was from so be from be fro, like all this. Like it was so nothing creative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That's what I'm hearing. Rev, whatever. Yeah, nothing creative at all. So
1: I remember I should not tell this story, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yes. I had a bunch of friends that went to uh, I think it was like a Baptist high school, so they had chapel and they had a chapel speaker, and the speaker's whole spiel was what happens when you take the Christ out of Christian. And so my friends were doodling, and they <laughs> wrote the word Christian, and then crossed out Christ, and what was left is Ian. was Ian. So for like three years, my nickname was the Antichrist. <laughs> that so, is next level awesome. So we'd we'd be we'd be at like Denny's, and they're like, oh, Hey, Mark of the Beast, can you pass the ketchup? Can you? And I'm like, No one else understands this reference. That is next level. That's so the what, fact that I'm a pastor now is uh, extra you take ironic. The Christ
2: out of Christ, What do you get? Ian? <laughs> Yeah, that is great. Do
1: You see now why I thought I shouldn't share that story <laughs> That is, that is
2: like that is next level nicknaming right there. Well, that the mark all, of the beast. that all actually segues kind of well. love you for uh, six hundred and sixty six. Oh, my reasons. gosh. See,
1: he always does this, John. I'm looking to move on. He let's, waits 30 seconds. See he jumps back in. This. Do you have anything else you want to say, Brian? No. I doubt that I'm, I'm done. I'm just going to keep laughing about this one. I, I doubt it very much. Friends. All right, so uh, Brene Brown, who's someone that uh, I appreciate very much, have followed for quite some time, I've probably even quoted on this show. Yep. She wrote an article um, at her website, BreneBrown.com. It says, dehumanizing always starts with language. Mm. And so she. it's kind of the summary of uh, Chapter 4 from Braving the Wilderness. I don't know if you've read any Brene I Brown. Have Braving I have the Wilderness is phenomenal. There's, she's got Daring Greatly and a bunch of other – like. It's really good. So this chapter is, uh, entitled something that I've actually said on the, on the show. People are hard to hate up close. Mm -hmm. This idea that when we're inclined to, to really distance or demonize that people, when you really actually lean in, you get to know what makes them tick and what makes them the way that they are. People are really hard to hate up close. But she goes on to talk about the ways that we speak about people. And so often we think, you know, when we think in terms of dehumanizing, we often jump right to the acts that we do or don't do, do, to to dehumanize somebody. And i talked about my time on Philly, uh, living on the streets of Philly and how dehumanizing so much of what I perceived, but she's making the case that it actually begins with how we speak of one another um, or whatever the other is in, in our rhetoric. And I think it's a really convicting, particularly in the rise of like all the social media backlash that we see and the ways that we interact with each other online. And I'm curious your take on, how language shapes the way that we
2: see and view the people around us. I think it's so powerful. And quite frankly, one of the problems with our culture today, and that is uh, like you said, it's, it's not even dehumanizing by what they're saying about in, or what anyone says about individuals. It's the way we speak of others. I love how you use that word, the other groups of people. And um, it, it's uh, this just Talking about groups of people in very specific ways that makes them less than you, that Mm. makes them less, makes it then puts you in a position of power to then uh, treat them poorly or treat them um, in non-Christlike ways. And uh, it's the, the rise of social media. I mean, regardless of your politics, our president speaks of people in groups in dehumanizing ways. and. Uh, people on the other side speak of him and other people, Republicans, or whatever, in dehumanizing ways. And, hmm. um, we, we are, it's a real problem when we're always speaking of the other and, and talking of people that way. And so I love her point that the way you get past that is yes, to speak better and this, but no, it's start to get to know the other. Yeah. It start to, and I love that quote you always use. It's hard to hate people up close. So, uh, it's, it's easy to lob grenades at the other. Uh, and and to caricature them in certain ways. But when you start to know um, the person who's not like you, all of a sudden those walls break down. You know, who's great at this is our kids. Yeah. Our kids are this. They yeah. don't dehumanize people. They, I, I'm becoming a, a believer that, that dehumanizing is, is uh, something that's unfortunately learned over time as yes. they get older. Yes. Uh, watch kids. They they don't treat other people like yes. this. And I think we could really learn from that. So she talks a little bit uh, as well about emotional
1: safety. And she talks about how, unfortunately, Emotional safety is often used to mean something like, I don't have to listen to any point of view that's different from mine, that I don't like, that I think is wrong, that will hurt my feelings, that is not up to my standards of political correctness. And Mm -hmm. she said that's not actually what it's about. So she started asking people about examples of feeling emotionally unsafe or threatened and a clear pattern emerged. They weren't talking about Mm -hmm. getting their feelings hurt or being forced to listen to dissenting opinion. They're talking about dehumanizing language and behavior. And I recognize this immediately. I've studied dehumanization and seen it in my work for over a decade. So I want to read a little bit because I think I wish we had more time to get in this article. I encourage you to go read it. Um, David Smith, the author of less than human explains that dehumanization is a response to conflicting motives. We want to harm a group of people, but it goes against our wiring as members of a social species to actually harm, kill, torture, or degrade other humans. Smith explains that there are very deep and natural inhibitions that prevent us from treating other people like animals, game, or dangerous predators. He writes, dehumanization is a way of subverting those inhibitions. Dehumanization is also a process. I think Michelle Mays, the chair of the philosophy department at Emmanuel College, lays it out in a way that it makes sense. So I'll use some of her work here to walk us through it. Mays defines dehumanization as... The psychological process of demonizing the enemy, mm. making, them seem, making them seem less than human and hence not worthy of human treatment. Dehumanizing often starts with creating an enemy image. As we take sides, lose trust, and get angrier and angrier, we not only solidify an idea of our enemy, but also start to lose our ability to listen, communicate, and practice even a modicum
2: of empathy. Yeah, and I, <laughs> it's so true. Uh, and and I, I just don't think there's any room for Christians to... Think of people as other right <laughs> or or in especially the way we typically use that as less than and uh, I, I man, this is a really convicting article and that's one of the joys of this show has been to be regularly convicted by reading different people. It, the question of how do I view others and does that match the way that Jesus viewed p- other people and treated other people th- our culture runs very differently than that. And and this language, anytime there's language that, that makes somebody less than human speaks of them as an animal or speaks of them as some other way. You're talking about dehumanizing language and that can't have a place in the church or with the Christ follower. We well, think even of the word
1: hospitality, you know, within the roots of the word hospitality, it means to befriend the other. Mm. And when, Scripture talks about there's all numerous parables and examples in the early church of they were always knocking down walls that would otherwise divide because in Christ we're this new creation where these distinctions then now no longer have the weight that they did before. And I think the more that we can remember that and I think the time of this message right now is so important for us to recognize that by using even subtle, maybe even certain socially acceptable dehumanizing language. We're participating in something that is not of Christ, that is not bringing hope and restoration to the world. And I Mm -hmm. think it's important for us to talk about it. Absolutely. You've been listening to The Common Good right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com. You can call us at 312-660-2594. If you want to weigh in or yell at us or... Weigh
2: in by yelling at us. Brian likes compliments if you want to... That's true. (laughs) That is true. That is a true statement. That is a true. Like I'm not even going to argue that one. I appreciate. Why well, argue it? If well, it's true, then it's true. It's if you want to Facebook me compliments? If you want to call them. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right. So I found this article. You typically tend to be the guy that uh, that draws from gospel coalition more than I, I do. Am. I am. But this one kind of caught my attention, and I asked a couple of people about it beforehand couple of uh, Bible scholars and professors, and they say it was a good read. It's, it's, a, it's actually a pretty short read too. Yeah. So I encourage you, if you're interested in kind of just wetting your whistle a little bit, it says, have Bible quoters replaced Bible readers it says you probably share my angst about biblical illiteracy, which I guess is maybe not everybody. Uh, I think no. we sometimes assume though, that this illiteracy is simply a problem in the broadest sweep of cultural Christianity. It is there to be sure. That's why Christian bookstores or their digital equivalents don't sell many books on the meaning of justification in Galatians, but tons of books with diet tips from Ezekiel or channeled messages from heaven. The mm. problem, though, is far bigger. I had never really known how to articulate the scope of the biblical uh, illiteracy facing us until I read a sentence in David Newhouse's Nine, helpful book, A Concise Guide to Reading the New Testament. Speaking of the students in his college uh, New Testament classes, uh, he writes that they struggle with the biblical material because, quote, they have, uh, they have been trained to be Bible quoters, not Bible readers. Mm. He's exactly right. He locates part of the problem in this way. Higher criticism is sought to remove the Bible from the terrain of the church to the alleged expertise of those able to discern the original text in ways uh, novel to the reader of the church through the ages. But the problem goes beyond this. You know, it's the problem
2: is also the way the Bible is used in churches. Yeah. What do you think? That's great. It's Russell Moore. I love when Russell Moore writes and um, it, it it is it is uh, this taking specific verses out of context and it's interesting where he or or the guy he's quoting, you said, um, n- how did you say his name? Yeah. Neen House? How I said it is irrelevant because I'm sure n- I did it wrong. N-I-E-N. That seems like Neen. H-U-I-S. Hoos. Neen Hoos. Neen All right. Going. I like that. So uh, he lays a lot of it at the feet of the church and says that a lot of churches have begun taking scripture out of its context and preaching uh, you know these types of passages which i i think is an interesting take on it but i do think you know it, it, the the idea that it's not that we don't read the bible or people don't know the bible they know it in sound bites and this is the world yeah, we live right. in it's sound bites and so it's it's taking this verse and not caring about its context and not caring about who it was written to and under for what purpose but instead just taking it out and um you know that becomes dangerous because yeah. uh, because it does matter who the text was written to, why it was written, uh, and so I do think this is a good call to become people who are reading the Bible and understanding it rather than just pulling stuff out and quoting it. I I think yeah. this is a good well,
1: call. I, and and just to be fair too, I I, uh, I posted something online a couple months ago, kind of railing against some of this, and I had, you know I took five often misquoted yep. or misappropriated verses and then unpacked the original context and uh, a friend of mine, a mentor who's been on the show, Warren Anderson, he also yeah. very pastorally weighted and he goes, Yes, I see what you're saying. But also, um, if Jeremiah twenty nine eleven helps get you through a dark season, mm. that's okay too. Interesting. Even though and I was like, okay. That actually was like just good pastor he's like such a shepherd in that regard. That's good. So I want to I want to keep that in mind, but I, I want to read some of um Some of his quotes regarding this particular topic because there's just a lot of meat here that I think I would love to know your thoughts on. He says, he says, Some of my students attend popular non denominational churches led by entrepreneurial leaders who claim to be Bible believing and strive to offer sermons that are relevant for successful Christian living. Unfortunately, in too many cases, this formula results in a preacher appealing to a short text of scripture out of context in order to support a predetermined set of biblical principles to guide the congregants' daily lives. The only Bible these students encounter, sadly, is the version that is carefully distilled according to the theological and ideological concerns that have shaped the spiritual. Spiritual formation of the lead pastor goes on and says, "I would say the problem goes far beyond non-denominational churches or even entrepreneurial churches, since biblical interpretation in America, evangelicalism, tends to be trickled down from the entrepreneurial ministry pioneers to everyone else." Here's mm. here's the end result. It says they have the capacity to recall a relevant biblical text in support of a particular doctrinal point. Or in opposition to a hot spot in the culture wars or in hope of emotional support when times get tough. They approach the Bible as a sort of reference book, a collection of useful God quotes that can be looked up as one would locate words in a dictionary or an entry in an encyclopedia. What they are not trained to do is to read a biblical book from beginning to end, to trace its narrative arc, to discern its main themes, and to wonder how it shapes our faith lives today. Mm. And I, That, to me, is so articulate it really and is. so well said. And I don't know if you feel this and or if you have any thoughts
2: about a, a Way Forward. I, I, That's a great question. What's the answer? But I do feel this. I feel this deeply because... Um, but like you said, he writes it so well, because I'm not sure that I could have put my finger on it until he said it this way. And you're like, yes, exactly. Right. The narrative arc and this and that, like it, 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 I do, I feel this. And I guess it does raise the question. Well, you and I are pastors. We have, uh, we have pulpits. Uh, how do you fight this? What is, what is the answer to this? Cause I don't, I do think it's painting a little bit with a broad brush, to be like, oh, the, the the problem is, you know, large church, non-denominational entrepreneur. There's an issue there, I'm sure. Uh, but this seems like it runs deeper. Yeah, uh, And so I don't know. What do you think the answer is as a pastor and as somebody who feels strongly about this? I, well, I love what he says. He says
1: it's not a matter of the educated versus the uneducated. The same problem exists among both. I've noticed that people who are experts in the grammar of the Hebrew and Greek Bibles who didn't really get the flow of the old, old story. But if the Bible is God's word, and it is, we must raise up people who don't merely believe it, but also know what it says. He says part of the problem is the larger cultural question of whether the distracted, fragmented modern mind even still has the attention span to read a text. Hmm. And part of the problem is that in order to train people to read their Bibles, the church must be gathered more than just an hour or two a week. Counteracting a potent cultural narrative requires pardon this metaphor, my pedo-baptist friends, not just a sprinkling, but an immersion in the Word of God. Which, again, isn't really a clear-cut action item, but it's it sure is challenging because you and I are both preachers, too. And I imagine even over the years, like, uh, can I just put you on the spot? Yep. How, how often are you tempted to recycle stuff from previous sermons yeah. in, in the case of, like, a busy week? Like, ah, I'll just pull that story or the exegesis I did 10 years ago and like does that is that a part of the regular or are you like always
2: creating like fresh brand new from scratch oh that temptation is certainly there yeah. and uh the other thing I realize a lot being and I'm sure you feel this way as somebody who preaches often is how often like I kind of see this in what he's writing here because how often I end up back on the same verses and back on the same yes, points right, right. which uh feels like that a lot of that's coming from my own heart and where I sure. am. Right. Or uh, what you're familiar with yeah. or what you're comfortable with. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you what, man, the 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 really countercultural uh thing to chew on for what he wrote there is that when he says part of the problem is that the church must be gathered more than just an hour or two a week. Yeah. Like that's that is uh, probably true and really difficult in the culture we live in. Everything is less and less, right? And That's how right. do we get stuff in people's hands in their homes? How do we do this? I, it does require some creative thinking, but that right there is is a hard one. If all that we're doing is expecting our people be here for an hour and, and you're going to get your Bible, I'm going to get you trained. He's yeah, probably probably right to say that they're not going to have a fully formed or, or a deep knowledge and understanding of, of the uh, general arc and the narrative arc of scripture and understanding it in its context. Well, That's I, probably I, true. I have a good buddy
1: of mine who, uh, his name's Justin Gill, and he actually is leading and teaching in conjunction with another good buddy of mine, John Hughes, uh, a course called How to Read the Bible, wow. attempting to do exactly this. And we're like really encouraging people, hey, take the time to actually learn. Because I think a lot of people might read this and go, yeah, I want to do that. I would love to sit yep. in the word of God more. I don't even know what I'm looking at. I don't yep. even know how to go about that and that's why i love guys like john and justin who are doing the hard work of all right let's train people how to actually do that yeah. and we you know i work we work at the research group and um cory is our our liaison there and he's done an incredible job of like hmm. helping us you know we have briefs for each of these talks we right like give us Give us what's really going on here, even even though we're maybe only going to hone in on a verse or two. Yeah, and and I feel like every week I I get a chance to You're learn, learning. and that excitement. Hopefully, hopefully, and, and kind of in light of this article, we are at least even laying out the possibility for people that there is a better way, a more holistic way to actually like swim in the waters of scripture and, and not just proof text as helpful as that sometimes can be. I don't want to be too curmudgeonly there. I think have it needle stitch on your pillow, have a watercolor on your wall. That's, that's that's totally fine, but to also say, man, there's there's a, a transformation that happens too when we actually like read a letter from beginning to end yeah, and, and really grapple with what it's saying. Absolutely, well, I'm I'm challenged by this. I am too. <laughs> and maybe you listening are challenged as well, and uh, that's something that we love to do on this show from time to time. Is Hopefully, hopefully challenge each other to uh, to think a little differently. Well, coming up next, we're going to land the plane the way we do every day yeah, with every a little day. bit of interweb insanity, talking about a hard right turn. That's what's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
2: Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hey
1: everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. That music can mean only one thing. It should only mean one thing. It probably shouldn't even mean that one thing. We get to go home soon. What do you mean? It's always the get to go home. I enjoy doing this show with you, Brian, but you're always, you're, you're packing I, up your stuff right now. I, you're
2: put, put, putting on your jacket. Can't can't wait to jump out the door. Uh, people know you're lying because obviously I don't have a jacket, but uh, I thoroughly enjoy this show and I thoroughly enjoy going home. Both of those are not mutually exclusive <laughs> it's things. It's like the already not yet
1: kingdom of God. Same go. kind of, all right. So uh, we end the show the same way every time for better or for worse. It's stories that we have not seen yet and uh, sound effects that we have not heard. We're going to read them sight on scene they always give me just a teeny amount of butterflies in my they stomach
2: do. and Brian Fromm's gonna kick us off. Scotland. I almost yelled Florida before turning it over. Yeah, Scotland. Wow. United Airlines flight from Glasgow Glasgow to Newark is canceled when both pilots are arrested for turning up drunk. Scotland, Scotland. Two pilots have been arrested on a after a flight from Glasgow Airport to New Jersey was canceled this morning because they both turned up drunk. They oh, were arrested boy. by police on suspicion of being under the influence of drink or drugs before boarding the United Airlines flight. Sure, why not? The flight to Newark in New Jersey was due to leave Glasgow Airport at 9 a.m. But was canceled after the pair's arrest. Both men are pilots. That seems (laughs) self-explanatory. Age 61 and 45, a police Scotland spokesman confirmed. Furious passengers took to social media to vent their frustrations at United Airlines as they waited for more than an hour before being told the flight was canceled. Remarkably, the incident comes three years after two other United Airlines oh pilots gosh. were arrested for being drunk before flying to Glasgow Airport to Newark route. Must be something about Glasgow. Have you been drinking? I'm not drunk. <laughs> I swear I can do it. Oh, wow. Oh, that was,
1: Double drop. That was pretty That was No, that was John. Oh, okay. Did, did you think that? You thought that
2: was a sound effect? I did. Wow. Was that, wow. Is that actually really flattered. you? Yeah. yeah i Because my back is to wow. John, and I thought that was a drop. Well done. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> that was impressive. I'm just going to sneak those in every a now and then. double wow.
1: draw. All right. Brazil. Inmate's plan. Dress up as daughter. Leave her in prison. I saw this. You did? This is crazy. A Brazilian gang leader tried to escape from prison by dressing up as a daughter when she visited him behind bars and walking out the penitentiary's main door in her place, authorities said Sunday. But prison officials said the nervousness displayed by, how do you say that? Clovina da Silva. Ooh, also known as Shorty. Okay, we'll go with that. As he tried to leave the prison in the western part of Rio de Janeiro, dressed as a woman, gave him away his plan was apparently to leave his 19-year-old daughter inside the jail, reports the AP. Police are looking into her possible role as an accomplice in Saturday's failed escape. Uh, fail oh boy. Failed escape attempt from Jarisino prison. Get busy living <laughs> or get
2: busy dying. Oh, red. That's good. You've got to look up because it's not just a picture. There's a video. There is. There's a video of them <laughs> unmasking him.
0: Yeah, mask. It was Scooby Doo. It was was insane. My guess is if
2: he hadn't acted nervous, he probably would have gotten out because it's insane. Look it up. Unbelievable. Virginia. Yorkie's dog bite disrupts neighborhoods' mail service. A Virginia neighborhood had its mail service disrupted for about three weeks after a Yorkshire terrier bit a postal carrier. The Danville Register and B reports that the neighborhood is one of two in Danville. Uh, You don't watch Phineas and Ferb, do you? I, I don't. Should oh, I? Was their, their hometown is Danville. Oh, all right. Uh, to have mail service disrupted recently because of dog bites, the second neighborhood had service suspended because carriers were being chased by a pit bull. A Postal Service spokesman said action was necessary to prevent carriers from being attacked. Mail carriers in Virginia were bitten by dogs 153 times in 2018 and 143 times in 2017.
0: When you control the mail, <laughs> you control information.
2: Oh, boy.
1: This one is crazy. It's terrifying. Kansas, customer spots snake slithering behind gas pump screen. You got to look this picture up. Most customers are worried about gas pump skimmers these days, but Kansas resident Holly Malcolmus Malcolmus had another reason to be nervous. She stopped to fill up at a local gas station in Gardner, <laughs> Gardner Snake, <Okay. laughs> but I was shocked when she saw something strange crawling inside the touchscreen. I tried to come up with every possible scenario that it wouldn't be an actual snake, but then I saw its head and knew it was real. There, there was a snake. A snake snuck inside the gas pump, slithering in between the gas and a screen that read "Thank you for shopping with us today." has posted the video to Facebook. She says the next day, someone opened the pump to release the snake. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? We had a, we had a pump fake on that drop. Yeah, there under it. <laughs> well, it's the way, I don't
0: know your inflections go
1: down and sometimes it just kind of. It's always over. the point, though. It's always it's always always the look always the
2: point. For right. good, good use and of a new pump guy. fake with the gas. That's what I was going. There, Thank you, go. You, go. there you go, Brian you go. from Last one. I'm getting your puns after all this time. Oh, i getting a n- double drop from New Jersey, my home state. Bad karma inspires ketchup thief to make amends to restaurant Aww. a remorseful a remorseful thief who swiped a bottle of ketchup from a New Jersey restaurant gave the eatery two new bottles along with a letter saying the incident had brought them bad luck. A manager closing up Wednesday night at a Perkins restaurant in Lacey Township discovered a brown bag next to the entrance that turned out to contain two unopened bottles of ketchup and an anonymous letter. The letter, which the manager shared on Facebook, explained that the author had taken a bottle of ketchup off the table while dining. I thought it'd be risky, the letter said. I'm as square as they come, and this is the worst thing I've ever done. The letter said the theft had brought them bad luck and bad karma, including their car being hit by another vehicle just hours after after they took it. The manager said the person is forgiven, and employees have never even noticed a bottle of ketchup was missing.
0: Oh, nice. we're,
2: in that nice. <laughs> were, were you this ketchup thief
1: brian no, Lacey township that's south jersey, <laughs> south jersey. <laughs> i didn't realize that was a thing well you're off for the next couple of days i am so we will miss you we got a couple of very special in-studio guest hosts we hope that you'll join us tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m or wherever it is to get your podcast thanks for joining us on the common good on am 1160 hope for your life